Get your fill of baseball news and beer reviews at foulballarea.com. Follow our blog for the latest news around the baseball world and read about some of our favorite ballpark beers. Tune into the podcast every Wednesday as we take a deep dive into the topics of the day. Stay connected by signing up for our mailing list or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Foulball Area. Now, here's today's episode of the Foulball Area Podcast with Matthew Atkins and Trey Locke. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of The Pulse with BP. I'm your host, Billy Parvatam. Folks, I'm so excited to once again be joined by Foulball Area Podcast co-hosts Matt Atkins and Trey Lyle. Matt is a associate content writer, and Trey is currently working at CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg. We all know each other because we are proud graduates of the Virginia Tech Polytechnic and State University. We all graduated in the class of 2019 and feels like I've been doing this uh, World Series preview podcast tradition with these guys for the last couple of years. So, Trey, Matt, so good to see you guys. Thanks so much for joining me again. Always good to be on, man. I, I think we have done this for a couple of years in a row now, and you had to throw in our graduation year, making us feel old, man. I, I went back to homecoming this year, and it is it has been a long time since we graduated. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, it feels like yesterday, but come May, it's five years since we graduated. And like Oof. that means it's it's been it's like approaching our you know ten year anniversary of graduating high school, and I'm like, can we stop time? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's go back. Uh, but you know, I know this is Matt's. I think fourth year doing this with you, and this is my second year, so this is fun. Obviously, probably not a matchup we expected in the World Series. Uh, even at the start of the playoffs. But uh, I think it could deliver some uh, unique storylines. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and speaking of class of 2019, we were also the last spring graduation before COVID. So we we graduated just in time. But, yeah, always good to see you guys. Well, let's get right to it, fellas. The MLB World Series starts on Friday, game one. The Texas Rangers take on the Arizona Diamondbacks. But before we get to the World Series, I kind of just want to recap this postseason. I have to start with the topic that everyone's been talking about, it seems like, recently, and that is – whether or not this playoff format really impacted the ability of the higher seeds to win. Um, you look at it, the Braves, Dodgers, and Orioles, uh, top one or two seeds in the American and National League, did not make it to the LCS. The Astros were the only team to do so. Of course, several of those teams won 100 games. People talking about maybe it you know, uh, had to do with the extra rest they had after the regular season. Matt, of course, you're a Braves fan, so you, you have an opinion on this firsthand. What's kind of your thoughts on uh, how this playoff format, if it has, has impacted kind of the ability of the top seeds to win? Because, you know, my question is, when it happens, when we see Cinderella runs happen in March Madness, it seems like no one has a problem. When a team like the Miami Heat, who Trey's a fan of, makes the NBA Finals last year, no one has a problem with that. But it seems like when it happens in baseball, everyone says, oh, there's a problem with the playoff system. It's broken. So, obviously, as a Braves fan who had to deal with this scenario really the last two years, What's kind of your take on how the system, if it has, has impacted uh, how the playoffs have played out? Yeah, I've got uh, a lot of thoughts on this postseason overall. And I've, I've told Trey uh, pretty much everything that I've been thinking uh, throughout the postseason and after the Braves got eliminated. But I guess just the the main thing and with this new playoff format where the top seeds get a bye week is just, I think the bye week is causing them to lose. I mean, uh, you look at the the teams that lost this year, the Orioles, the Braves, and the Dodgers, they all lost their uh, their division series matchups. You got the Astros who had a week off and they ended up winning. and they were the they were one of the teams that won the division series last year after a week off. So the Astros just have it figured out. Uh, but most teams that have that by week are losing in their division series matchups. And I think that, the bye week is part of the problem because in, in any other sport, you know, football, if you have a week off in the, the first round of the playoffs, that's a huge benefit for you because football is a very physical, very demanding sport. Baseball is not as as physically demanding, doesn't take as much of a toll on your body. So you don't necessarily, in my opinion, need a week off. And it, timing is such a huge thing in baseball, more so than any other sport, I would say. So when you have that week off where you're not facing any live pitching or live batting, you know, it just messes with your timing and it's hard to get that back, especially against a team like this year. I think every team that won the wild card round, it was all sweeps. It was all two game sweeps. So those teams were all very hot coming into the uh, the NLDS and the ALDS. So you got a team like the Braves who have had a week off. They got to find their timing back. 
going up against the Phillies, who just won two straight games, and they have all this momentum coming into the series. I really think that week off is causing the the higher-seeded teams to lose these matchups. But, Trey, you look at it, I mean, with this World Series now, the MLB is guaranteed to have nine different champs in 10 years. 14 teams have reached the World Series in that span, so... You know, you can make the argument a lot of local fans of their local teams are falling in love with the game again. And you also look at it this year. I mean, the Rangers were basically a top seed. They were tied with the Astros going into the last day of the season. So, I mean, they were basically among this group that we're talking about. So what's kind of your thoughts on how uh, this whole situation has played out? Yeah, so I, I kind of agree with Matt. Baseball is such, a, you know, a rhythm-based game where, you know, the timing is the key. I know last year, like the ALCS, the LCS was the two top seeds with the Yankees and the Astros. The Astros, we don't talk about that. But then this year, you see the the wildness of it. Obviously, back-to-back years, a sixth seed has made it to the World Series in the National League. Um, but baseball, unlike the other sports, is so much more based off of rhythm and timing and, you know, finding, you know, and, and just finding that kind of rhythm at the plate, rhythm on the mound, you know, and you you it's a lot easier to lose that with a week off and granted the week off benefits the rest part of it but it's somewhere that it's kind of like it's 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 difficult to see like you know them refining the rhythm by the time they find the rhythm it could be too late like it could be you're down 2-0 in a five game series so there are like two options to this you make it a seven game series in the first round where you have more time to get it back or you you simply just add an eighth team, which if you're baseball, adding the eighth team is probably making more sense where you get more playoff games and more revenue. Or And you also make it like a seven-game series or, or something like that, or you do the three-game wild card, but everyone plays in the wild card, and then the divisional, you know, whatever it may be. But you, you're, you're dealing with two things. You're dealing with a limited amount of games because – the difference between a five-game series and a seven-game series is huge. It's it's gigantic. I mean, the World Series would be completely different if those were five-game series. It would be Houston-Philadelphia rematch. Um, so it, it's two factors. It's one, it's a five-game series, so there's less margin of error. And two, this is a rhythm sport. It just it takes so much timing. You know, you, you, at the end of the day, you do want to see the best teams play with each other. Like the Diamondbacks making the World Series and is great. Texas was one of the elite teams. It is great. But, like, compare it to, like, what if we had the O's who were the one seed versus the Braves who were the one seed in the National League? They, that would have been a great series. So it, it, it's definitely finding that fine balance. It's either, you know, like I mentioned, adding the eighth team or making the, the uh, divisional series a seven-game series because rhythm gets lost in that week, and it just seems to not be made up. Also, I will add with the Astros this year, they they kind of got lucky by playing the Twins, who were by far the worst team. So that might have helped the reason why they got through the Divisional Series, unlike the others. Matt, I would just add real quick, we we see this all the time in the uh, the All-Star break. You know, every year you see teams go into the All-Star break. They're the best team in the league halfway through the season. They get four days off for the All-Star game. And they come out and they just stink for the first week or two after the All-Star break. So we see that all the time, every year. So, I mean, why would why would it be any different when you have a week off at the end of the season and then try to get going again to play a playoff series? It's, I mean, it's the exact same thing. Well, I was going to ask you that question, Matt, in terms of, you know, now we've had – we have not had a repeat champion in 23 years. Uh, the last team to do it was the Yankees in uh, 99 and 2000. Do you think – now, granted, this playoff format is a little bit new, so I can't imagine it's the whole reason. But what would you say is – kind of the main reason we haven't been able to have a repeat champion in that long uh, because it's the longest streak currently in any professional sport. Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, I think that's a great thing. Uh, I mean, I like seeing dynasties in some sports. It's exciting, but it's also exciting when you have parity and any team can win any given year. So I like seeing uh, different teams win. And we have had a lot of teams, you know, the Red Sox have won four world series since 2004. We had the giants win three world series earlier in the 2010s. So we have had teams that have had, you know, not quite a dynasty, but they've had a lot of success in years close together. But I like seeing different champions every year. I think it's good for the sport. Every team has a chance to succeed, a chance to win. Uh, it's just, I mean, it, it's there's probably a lot of factors to go into. You know, t- it's hard to keep a team together. Um, I mean, a lot of the times, plus you see these teams that 
go into the postseason in the World Series, a lot of it is because of acquisitions they made at the trade deadline. And then those players usually don't end up sticking around. You know, you go out and get a, a reliever at the trade deadline, you have them for half a year and they lead you to that World Series title. And then they end up leaving for another team in free agency. So I think that's probably a big part of it, but also just keeping a team together as a whole. I mean, you look at the Braves, they won in 2021 and then they let Freddie Freeman go in uh, over the off season. He went to sign with the Dodgers. It's just hard to keep a team together. And it's just really, I mean, winning is really hard uh, in any sport, but especially in baseball. So to be a back-to-back champion, it's just a really difficult thing to do. I, w- I wanted to ask you guys about a few teams that, uh, you know, either had high expectations and didn't make the playoffs or teams that obviously flamed down the playoffs. Trey, I got to go to you first. I mean, you're Yankees, man. What happened? I mean, expectations going into the year, they don't end up making the playoffs. Of course, we all know they haven't even made a World Series since they last won in 2009. And, you know, I guess this question we ask every year is Aaron Boone, the right man for the job, but they've already announced he's coming back next year. So what's kind of your thoughts on whole the Yankees situation? Why did they not make the playoffs? And, how do they improve to get back there in the future? They couldn't hit. Um, this lineup has been too inconsistent for the last five years. Uh, they are wasting the best offensive player in baseball in Aaron Judge. Like, if you look at his numbers when he was hurt and you put it out towards the season, like, he still would have hit 60 and one. So, if Aaron Judge is healthy this year, the Yankees probably do what they did last year and they make the playoffs because Aaron Judge is Aaron Judge. But, Carlos Madon was hurt most of the year. That didn't hit. Like, th- this roster is very flawed. It is a power-only roster that strikes out a lot. It has been that way. It has maybe the best pitcher and best hitter in baseball and still can't win. So, it's simply, I don't blame Aaron Boone. This is the first time he missed the playoffs as a manager. The man that should be fired is Brian Cashman because if there was a different Steinbrenner at the top, let's just put it this way, Brian Cashman lost his job a long time ago. Like, Brian Cashman is resting on the laurels of having four Hall of Fame players as a core, you know, essentially. And, you know, whip dee I was, like, I was not in high school yet the last time the Yankees were in the World Series. So let's get, I think leadership needs to be changed. Like, if it's any other organization in baseball, they changed the leadership for not this success. So it seems like they're bringing everyone back. And I'm just like, well, it's until they, like, I, I trust Aaron Boone. I think he's actually a pretty good manager considering, like, the constant injuries he's dealt with at his time, the fact that he's only missed the playoffs once. Like, the guy seems to know what he's doing, and I think Booney's a pretty a, a decent manager. Uh, he shouldn't get the blame for this for having a crap roster dealt to him. Like, it's, I think it's Cashman and it's the organizational structure of the front office that is, you know, if you look at Houston, you look at Texas, you look at, you know, Arizona, Atlanta, Philadelphia, to some degree, they win in multiple ways. The Yankees can only win in one way, and that's hitting the long ball, which they have a lineup built for built for their stadium, but come postseason, you need to be built, you know, you need to build to win in multiple ways, and their offense is just not it's built one way and it's it's a home run or a strikeout and that's just not going to work. Matt, so, how about hey, your Braves? Aaron Judge bail us out. Sure. And Matt, how about your Braves? I mean, this was another this was another year, man, where I really feel like I mean, a lot of people considered them the 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 leading favorite to to win the World Series. Of course, uh, Matt Olson had a such a terrific year, led the league in home runs and RBIs. Ronald Acuña is probably going to be uh, the uh, NL MVP, I mean, one of the best players in the game. I apologize for even thinking back in the day that Juan Soto, when he was with the Nationals, was even in Acuna's league. I mean, it's not even a question now. But, uh, man, uh, just another disappointing loss to the Phillies in the playoffs. What's kind of your thoughts on what happened this season? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a super disappointing loss. Um, I I think it is. So, you know, it's like we've been talking about. It's the the week off in between the end of the regular season and the playoffs. I think that's a huge part of it. Um, but I, I just think, you know, they just went cold and whether that's due to having that week off or they were, you know, getting cold before this playoff series at the end of the regular season, I don't know, but the, the, I mean, that's, that's what happened. Like the, the key players that you needed 
to show up were not showing up when you needed them in the postseason. And then pitching just really wasn't there. And that was going to be a huge thing for the Braves. They had a ton of injuries uh, all season long for the pitching staff. And then right at the end of the season, Kyle Wright, uh, they announced he was going to have shoulder surgery and Charlie Morton was injured at the end of the season. So you really only had Max Freed and Spencer Strider, which looking around at the playoff teams this year, a lot of them do only have two bona fide starting pitchers. Uh, I mean, you looked at the Phillies, they had Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and then Ranger Suarez out there for every third game. And he pitched very well, you know, props to him. Um, but a lot of these teams, you know, the Diamondbacks, they're in the World Series. They have Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, and then some guys you've never heard of, but they've been pitching pretty well. For the Braves, they had Freed, Strider, and then they threw Bryce Elder out there, and he had two and a half good innings, and then things fell apart for him in uh, game three in Philadelphia and ended up getting shelled by the Phillies. So the starting pitching was uh, a huge weakness for the Braves going into this playoff series against the Phillies. And I think that's definitely something that they need to look at uh, over the offseason. you know, bring in a, a top tier starting pitcher because Max Freed is Cy Young caliber when he's healthy. Spencer Strider is the, you know, he gets the most strikeouts in the league. He's, he can be Cy Young caliber, uh, but you got to have someone else in there because clearly those two guys couldn't get it done. Trey, how about a team that you know well being in the same division as the uh, Yankees? That's the Rays. I mean, this is a team since they made that World Series in 2020, they've either lost in the division series or they've lost in the wild card series a few times. I mean, I know we always talk about, well, you know, given that market, they don't get any fans, which, by the way, was embarrassing in the playoffs. They had, like, no fans. But, you know, they've got these the exciting young players, Wander Franco, Randy Rosarena, but it seems like really since that one run, they haven't been able to have a lot of success since uh, Kevin Cash took out Blake Snell in that game five against the Dodgers. I mean, what's kind of your take on why they haven't been able to get it done in the postseason? Well, will they have Wander Franco for a while? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah. I could make a joke there, but I won't. For you, Billy, I won't. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I Tampa, I mean... Tampa has built, you know, a really good team, and they they built smartly. They should do what, you know, like the Oakland A's should do and, you know, prove that, you know, you can build a really good baseball team through smart moves and, you know, selling a player high and getting, you know, basically better players forward at the end. So I don't know what the Rays can do at this point. I mean, unless they want to go big game hunting, I think they kind of just have to be kind of what they've been doing and, you know, keep, keep, you know, getting as many swings of the bat in terms of top talent. I think it hurts your best, your best player was off the team. You know, it wasn't like he's needed to be off the team. Like what happened to him was right. You know, uh, his stint with the team is someone he might want to date. Like, let's put it that way. Uh, but thank you. Thank you. Um, but I, so that that hurts when you lose your best player like that always hurts and with Tampa like they're always you know punching above their weight class and so like yes it's kind of sucks that they haven't broken through but also they have such a like such a narrow window to win the World Series with what they have that you you kind of you know I think they deserve deserve a lot more breaks than you know, most teams. And then Matt, I mean, I feel like I ask you about this team every year on the podcast, but the Dodgers, I mean, another 100 win season, and then they get swept by the Diamondbacks in the NLDS. Uh, what's kind of been your take? Cause again, I mean, this is a team that has consistently put up the payroll, the players every year to compete. And it kind of feels like it's been underwhelming. The fact that they only won one world series, which you give them a lot of credit. They won it during the 2020 season, COVID biggest playoff format ever but you really feel like they should have won at least one more uh, since then. Do you think Dave Roberts, potentially his job is in uh, jeopardy here with another early playoff loss? I don't think so. And I got to say, I'm glad that you, you know, give them credit for that 2020 world series. Cause a lot of people, you know, like to put an asterisk next to there, say it was, you know, a Mickey mouse world series, but no, it, it was the toughest playoff field ever because it was, they had to go through the most rounds uh, that any world series winning team did to win the championship but uh yeah i mean they've just had a couple of disappointing exits since then uh i think that you know again the timing you look at 
their best players in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, they were ice cold during that series against the Diamondbacks. They could not hit uh, anything in that series. So that was really disappointing. And, you know, I've told this to Trey a couple times, but I think that there's a huge difference between regular season baseball and playoff baseball. And I might sound just like a salty Braves fan because my team lost and they were the best team in the regular season. You're not. But there is a huge difference in the regular season and the postseason. And I think that we need to recognize more the the achievements of teams in the regular season. Because if you have the best record at the end of 162 games, you're clearly the best team in baseball that year. The postseason does not determine the best team in baseball. It just determines who can win a tournament at the end of the year. So... Yeah, that's what we put all the emphasis on. That's how we determine a champion every year. But the Dodgers still have a really good team because they're always one of the best records at the end of 162 games. So they're they're clearly one of the best teams in baseball. I don't know what it is once they get into the postseason, but they're like the the two seasons are completely different. And I do think that we need to give more weight to the regular season. Uh, you know, I could be baseball purist and say, just get rid of playoffs completely, have the the NL best team and the best team in the AL go straight to the World Series. I'm not that extreme. Uh, I would have been happy with that this year because the Braves would have gone right to the World Series. But I do think that wishes to... he was like 100 more years old and could watch <laughs> baseball like that. Send me back to like, I don't know. Pre-World War One. That's when the baseball was good. Damn it. Murders row with the Yankees. Or 1914 when the Braves won the World Series. There you go. But yeah, but I, I, think I, I think that it's it's just a, a completely different ball game once you get into the postseason. But I did want to ask you both of you guys this question because uh, the pitch clock, I mean, this was the first year we saw it in effect. Trey, I'll go to you first. I thought, by the way, I didn't really notice the difference in the playoffs. I thought the playoffs were still as dramatic. It felt like every pitch kind of had its own weight. The pressure was building. So I thought it was a success, obviously, in the regular season making games more watchable, cutting it down to, what, two hours, 45 minutes was the average. And then I didn't really see a difference in the playoffs. What are your thoughts on how the pitch clock was implemented in year one? Yeah, so I was afraid the high leverage moment would kind of go away. Like, honestly, like you go back, and it might – I think it's going to go down as my favorite baseball moment, if you want to say, of the season. But it's that last at-bat between Otani and Trout in the World Baseball Classic final. Like, that was so incredible. And every pitch, and it didn't have a pitch clock, so it built and built and built. And we go back to the other night, like, you know, that game was in hand against, you know, Tech, but, like, the the moment of, you know, between, you know, Philadelphia and Arizona, like, if Philadelphia gets someone on, they get Kyle Schorber up. And Kyle Schorber can, you know, is Kyle Schorber. So you definitely felt the suspense in those moments and it just made the game more watchable. Like I saw someone tweet like, man, this baseball game feels long, but it's still under three hours. That's a really good thing. Like baseball ran efficiently this year. And I honestly watched more games this year than I, you know, granted it was the first year I, you know, didn't use uh, maybe some services and actually bought season league pass. Uh, but it, it allowed me to watch more games you know and you weren't like I didn't go to a game this year but it felt like for a fan like it made more sense at night so this was this was really a win for baseball getting the pitch clock in like I think it worked effectively it it exceeded my expectations of what it was going to be and um yeah I'm I'm glad they did it Rob Manfred fine you know what Rob Manfred I still think you're awful and a terrible commissioner, but you finally did something right. Matt, I know you're probably the biggest baseball traditionalist, purist, wherever you want to call it, out of the three of us, but were you at least happy with how the pitch clock was implemented this season? Yeah, I liked it actually a lot more than I thought I would. I I, I think it made the us. game a little <laughs> a little more watchable on TV. Um I you know, I thought Maybe they should do away with it in the postseason, let those moments breathe a little more, have a little more drama to them. But I feel like it has been fine so far. I haven't really I haven't wanted any of that. I feel like we've gotten all the drama that we need in the postseason with the pitch clock. 
and I, I, I didn't mind it during the regular season. I thought it was fine. Uh, I went to two games this year, and I didn't really notice that much of a difference. I know that's the thing a lot of people have been worried about is going to the game and you know getting up to go get a hot dog or a beer and missing two innings, uh, coming back and two innings have gone by, whereas normally you could do that in the same inning. I didn't really have that experience. I I don't know if the games that I went to were just longer or what, but I I didn't really feel like that was a, a big issue for me when I was at, at a game in person. So I really was a lot happier with the pitch clock than I expected to be. Well, I think we all agree there. Well, let's get right to it, fellas. We're 25 minutes into the podcast, and we finally talk about the 2023 World Series, the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Game one on Friday night. Wanted to read a couple of uh, notes about the series overall, and then we can kind of get into a discussion. First of all, if you're a betting guy, the Rangers are currently minus 180 to win the World Series going in. Uh, I think it's incredible that both of these teams lost 100 games two years ago in 2021 and now find themselves in the Fall Classic. Uh, This is the third World Series to feature two wildcard teams after 2002 and 2014. 174 combined regular season wins, the fewest in a World Series matchup aside from a shortened season in MLB history. The Rangers have never won a World Series. The D-backs last won in 2001 against the Yankees. This is also the fifth World Series with games in Texas when you count that the Astros had been in most of these World Series and then also COVID in 2020. A couple of first first World Series in which both teams play their home games with a roof. First World Series not to feature the Astros or the Dodgers uh, since 2016. And the first World Series with all games played on an artificial turf. Quick run through a couple of these. Wait, uh, is this uh, the first World Series with a pool? Uh, you know, it might might make sense. I mean, with how hot it is in both these places. Uh, well, no, the Diamondbacks have a pool in their stadium, and it's their new stadium. So I think when they last played, the pool wasn't there. So yeah, makes sense. How about yeah. that? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And again, just a quick run through of these two teams. Rangers, of course, hired Bruce Bochy out of retirement in the off season. One of the greatest managers of all time, three time World Series champ. First to take uh, with the Giants, first to take three different franchises to the World Series. Uh, the Of course, the Giants, now the Rangers, the Padres in 98. He's undefeated in post-game, postseason Game 7s and when he wins Game 1 of the series. You know, this team, of course, five All-Stars, Garcia, Haim, Josh Jung, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Nathan Evaldi. They acquired Jordan Montgomery, Max Scherzer, and Aroldis Chapman at the trade deadline to boost up that pitching staff. In the playoffs so far, they've swept the Rays and the Orioles, and they beat the Astros, of course, in that epic seven-game series. The Diamondbacks, on the other hand, Corbin Carroll, what a fascinating young star he is, likely Rookie of the Year. We've got the dynamic Cattell Marte. Also got all-stars in Geraldo Perdomo, Luis Lourdes Guriel, and, of course, Zach Gallen. You add Gallen with Brandon Fott and uh, Merrill Carey. That's a pretty solid uh, trio in the pitching staff. Veterans like Tommy Fan and uh, Evan Longoria. Uh, you know, really interesting season, guys. I mean, highs and lows. They were 41 and 25 at one point in mid-June, leading the NL West. And they had a 32-game stretch in early July and mid-August where they went 7 and 25. They were 57 and 59 at one point, but they found their way around it, swept the Brewers in the playoffs, swept the Dodgers, and beat the Phillies in seven games, winning two in Philly, which I, I think very few people expected. So a lot of stuff I rattled off there, but uh, Matt, I go to you first. What are kind of your biggest storylines in this World Series featuring two teams who haven't been there in a while? I'm really excited for this World Series, actually. I I think this is a really interesting matchup. If you really look at it, and if you've been paying attention this this postseason, and if you look at the teams that are playing, this is a really exciting series. There's a lot of good, a lot of good players, a lot of young stars. You got Adelise Garcia. You got Corbin Carroll, who, as you mentioned, is probably going to win Rookie of the Year in the National League. You have two of the best pitchers in the National League with Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly. You have great pitchers with the Rangers, with uh, Nathan Nivaldi and Jordan Montgomery, who was acquired at the trade deadline, as you mentioned. You have Max Scherzer, who hasn't been great for them this postseason, but he's still Max Scherzer. And anytime he takes the mound in the playoffs, it's must-watch TV. I'm really excited for this World Series. And I know since uh really since the diamondbacks won the nlcs just last night there's been this narrative that you know tv ratings are going to be terrible for this world series it's not exciting it's boring i think fans got to make up their mind because if every world series is the dodgers and the astros or the yankees and the dodgers or the red sox and the cardinals you know one of those big legacy teams if every world series features them 
then people say that's boring because it's always the same teams. So now here we get a World Series with two teams that haven't been in it in a while, one team that's never won the World Series, and people say, oh, well, that's a boring World Series because no one cares about those teams. You got to make up your mind. Like, do you want parody or do you want the the you know legacy teams to be in the World Series all the time? Me personally, I like the parody. I like seeing teams that have had less historical success get a chance to either win another championship or win their first championship. I think it's really exciting. Um, it's also two of the biggest markets in the country in Dallas, Fort Worth, and Phoenix. Those are actually two of the biggest markets in the country. Uh, so I think when we say that it's going to have low ratings, that might be a little bit of East Coast bias because those are really big metropolitan areas. I think it's going to be a really exciting series. I personally don't care about TV ratings because I'm going to watch it regardless. But it's just you you look at the players that are involved in this series uh, and especially coming off of his uh, ALCS MVP for performance against the Astros. Garcia is going to be the player to watch, I think. Yeah, Trey, of course, yeah. uh, what are some of your biggest storylines in the series? I, I did want to add, of course, the D-backs have uh, Virginia Tech, Hokie, Joe Mantiply in their bullpen. And then personally, uh, the Rangers have McLean High School alum Josh Spores, who I saw pitch against my high school, Marshall High School, when I was uh, there uh, during that time. So that's pretty cool for me to, to see a guy who I saw in high school all of a sudden on the World Series. But, Trey, what are some of your big storylines in this series? Um, I thought about this. Like, if Max Scherzer – is a key, you know, underrated Jacob DeGrom could get a ring with ironically being hurt in the most Jacob DeGrom way. But Max Scherzer delivering another, I, this would be the Rangers' first World Series, right? Off the top of my head, yep. right? Yeah. Okay. So if he delivers another team their first World Series, or is a part of it, obviously he probably won't have the role he had with Washington. Does he go down as the best pitcher of the generation? Like, that is the one thing that came to my mind first. And I know it's kind of no one's talking about it, but there is an argument because you could argue he was maybe even better in the postseason than both Verlander and Kershaw. I mean, it's three. It's Scherzer, Verlander, and Kershaw. Like, those are the three. Like, Kershaw might be the best regular season one, but it would be interesting. Like, Verlander obviously has two, but it's with the Astros. But, like, if, if Scherzer, let's say it works out, he starts game seven again. And he, he pitched okay in this past game seven. Let's say he wins another game seven. He delivers two teams their first World Series by starting game seven. That's, you know, he could cut argument would be made for him to be the best pitcher. So that's one. I know it's kind of a little off the wall, but that was one of the first thoughts. And I think also it's like, the, you know, this is the kind of point of why to invest in your team. Like, look at, like, Evan Longoria. Like, that's going to be cool to see him, you know, back in the World Series after so long. He got a big contract from here. Like, both these teams have not, have, you know, constantly been trying to get to this point. They haven't, like, whether it's spending, you know, building their team, obviously, you know, hitting on, like, a Corbin Carroll helps. But they finally broke through. So these are teams that have been trying to win and just haven't been for the last decade, but they finally broke through by making the right moves, like getting a Nathan Aboldi, you know, Zach Gallen being so phenomenal. I was, you know, getting a getting Marte, like a 16 game hitting streak in the playoffs is truly unprecedented in, in times like this. So th those are probably the two. It's like the process of, excuse me, of how these teams got here. And then obviously I think the legacy aspect with Scherzer could be, could be something that no one is talking about, but you could definitely see, let's say it's even if he wins, like he wins just the clinching game, like it's a sweep and he wins game four for them or whatever. I don't know how they're going to pitch it. I think there's, there's sort of a legacy aspect with Max Scherzer that no one's talking about. That would be pretty interesting. Matt, I mean, I guess, and I guess that goes to my next question is, is there really anyone in this series with quote unquote, the most pressure to win? I mean, I think we'd all probably agree. The Diamondbacks are playing with house money. No one expected them to get this point. If they lose, which they're, you know, they're the underdogs going into this series. I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, the, the Diamondbacks had a failed season. They couldn't come through in the World Series. I guess the point that Trey made about Max Scherzer makes sense. But I just wonder, does the guy have anything left? I mean, as a huge Nats fan, I'm, I'm going to root for Scherzer no matter what he's 
one of the great, he's probably the greatest national of all time, honestly, when you consider all of his accomplishments. But I mean, there is that question of whether or not he's washed. He only pitched two and one, th two and two thirds innings or whatever it was in game seven. We all know if Max Scherzer is anything close to his prime, he, they're not pulling him after two and three thirds. So maybe that's the guy, but then you think about it. I mean, you're not uh, picking Bryce Harper as the greatest man of all time. No, I mean, Scherzer <laughs> led the world series and uh, led him to the just, world series and probably, uh, well, uh, you know, he'll probably be uh, the first national in the Hall of Fame. But uh, that's Matt's favorite baseball player, Bryce Harper. <laughs> I remember that from last year. But, uh, you know, you think about, I mean, Bruce Bochy, you know, pretty incredible feat for him to lead another team in the World Series. But he's already won, you know, three of them. So it's not like, oh, if he wins, I mean, he would be, you know, move up the list in terms of most uh, most rings for a manager. But it's not like he has to win a ring, you feel like. Uh, and, you know, guys like Corey Seager have already won a ring with the Dodgers. So, I mean, is there anyone with, quote-unquote, the most pressure to win, you think, in this series? I think that's an interesting question because I, I really don't think there is really anyone that the pressure is on a whole lot this series. You know, the both teams are pretty young, got a lot of breakout players that they're not, you know, towards the end of their career. Um, you know, the the Rangers, like you mentioned, Max Scherzer already has a ring. Aroldis Chapman already has a ring. Uh, you got, you know, a lot of guys that are going to be good for a while. This team could be back here in the next coming years. And then on the Diamondbacks, they got a lot more good players that are really young and could keep them as a, a winning team over the next couple of years. So I don't think there's anyone that has like a whole lot of pressure to win. If I had to pick someone, I might go with Evan Longoria just because he is the one guy that is towards the end of his career. And, uh, you know, he he made it to a World Series very early on with the Rays in 2008 when they lost to the Phillies. And then he hasn't been back to a World Series since then. So, you know, I think uh, there might be a little bit of pressure on him because, you know, he could be at the end of his career. He could he could retire after this year. Uh, and so, you know, if he wants to get that World Series championship before he calls it a career, I think the pressure would be on him. But other than that, I really don't think there's anyone that that feels like, uh, you know, they have to do it this year or they're never going to get a chance again. Yeah, Trey, you mentioned Max Scherzer, I mean, but we, you talk about Bruce Bochy. I know, you know, we were having this conversation as baseball fans. You know, Dusty Baker, he retired. Where does he rank in terms of the greatest managers? But you got to think, I mean, if Bruce Bochy wins this World Series, are there that many more uh, greater managers than him in history, or is he maybe the guy at the top here? You know, that's it, such a hard debate because of – you know, baseball is probably the hardest to truly determine the greatest ever because the game is so different. Like, Joe Torre belongs in that conversation, obviously. I think, um, I mean, you can go on and go go on and, you know, Bobby Cox to some degree, I think, belongs in that conversation. Like, it, that's that's just so hard to determine. Um, But I think Bruce Bochy could get, you know, I he, he's already, like, I think his is his fate is sealed. Like he's he's a Hall of Famer. Like it's it, it's the same thing with with Dusty Baker, in my opinion. Like pre, like let's say Dusty Baker never joins the Astros. Like I think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, but the fact that he didn't win the World Series just solidifies it. And you could argue like the fact that he had to kind of rebuild the team, you know, not physically but like emotionally coming off this, you know, everything that happened. You got to give him a lot of credit there. So. Yes, he enters the conversation, but I don't think I could sit here and say definitively, yes, he's the greatest manager of all time because that is, it, it is so more complicated than maybe any other sport. Like, you, you think about it like this, like, who's the greatest coach of all time? It's Bill Belichick. Why? Because he has the most championships. But there's the argument, like, he had Tom Brady, you know? Same thing like Andy Reid could quick, you know, Andy Reid might be the best coach of the generation because he had Patrick Mahomes now, like he could quickly pass him. You go to basketball, well, it's it's Phil Jackson is the greatest coach of all time. Well, he who did he have in his career? Oh, just Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. You know, you could argue it's Pat Riley. Well, he also had LeBron. Well, that was more of a GM, but he also had, you know, Magic and, you know, Dwayne Wade and Shaq and, you know, so on and so forth. So it, it's definitely hard. Um, to fully determine who who's the greatest, you know, greatest coach ever, greatest, you know, because it's so team dependent, you know. And so I I I think I think he enters the conversation, obviously, but uh, I don't know if I could say yes. 
And Matt, I would say it's probably the same to fair to say the same about players. I mean, I really feel like baseball players, they don't get as much heat if they don't quote unquote win the ring because you know, you know it. I mean, if you're a great player and you go three for four with three home runs and 12 RBIs, but you have a bad pitching staff. I mean, you could lose, you know, Mike 15 Trout to 12. For the last yeah. decade. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, people were kind of trying to bring up, oh, Bryce Harper, look at all the postseason success. He's better than Mike Trout. I'm like, yeah, but if you look at statistically Mike Trout's numbers, he's better than Bryce Harper in almost every category. His team around him is bad. So that's not his fault. He hasn't been able to get to the postseason. So it really does feel like, Matt, that even in baseball, the players don't get, quote, unquote, the same kind of heat as they do in other sports if they don't win the ring. Yeah, I don't think they do. I mean, you look at a lot of the guys that are considered the greatest players of all time and Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., you know, those are guys that never won a World Series championship when they were playing, but they're still by far and away considered some of the greatest players of all time. So I think that it's, uh, you know, Ted Williams, throw him in that conversation. I, I don't think you get the same uh, same kind of heat that you do in a sport like football where, you know, Again, to piggyback off of Trey's example, we say Tom Brady's the greatest player of all time because he has all the World Series champion or um, Super Bowl championships. But uh, I mean, he has the stats to back it up, too. But it's because he won that we consider him the greatest of all time. So it's not really the same in baseball. I think that it's much more of a team game. Uh, you you know, one player can make a huge impact, but there's there's two sides to the game. And so you, you can make a huge impact at the plate but if your pitching staff isn't picking up their part of the bargain then yeah you're not going to have a good team you're not going to have a winning team well guys let's put our money where our mouth is and make our predictions for this world series now for context matt has been correct every year he's been on the podcast 2020 picked the dodgers 21 the braves 22 the astros uh me and trey were both unfortunately wrong last year we we both picked the phillies and the astros beat them in six so we'll see what happens this year Trey, I'll go to you first. Give me the winner. Give me in how many games and give me a World Series MVP. Rangers get it done in six. Nathan Voldy is the MVP by winning two games in the series and finishing the postseason undefeated and with an under one whip. Is a 2.42 ERA. So let's say he stays in like 2.3. All right, Trey is going with the Rangers. Matt, you've been you've been four and zero, or uh, you know, three and zero, I guess, last couple of years. So you're going to stay perfect. Who are you going with uh, this year? Man, that's a lot of pressure. I didn't realize <laughs> that. I I didn't realize I was perfect. Um, you have a fifty fifty shot every year. It's like <laughs> decent math. Yeah, I got to go with the Rangers. I I think they get their first title this year. I think they get it done. I'm going to say seven games. I really want it to be a seven-game series, and I think that these two teams are pretty evenly matched. I think it could be. Uh, so I'm going to say Rangers in seven games. MVP, I I want to lean towards Garcia because he's been so hot recently. I'm just going to go with him. Yeah, I think, he, I think he keeps it going into the World Series, and I think he takes home World Series MVP as well. All right, so uh, Trey and Matt are both going with the Rangers. I will also agree and pick the Texas Rangers to win Mark, the World Series. We're going with Matt so we can be right this year, Billy. <laughs> uh, there right. we go. Well, well now, now we're going to have the Diamondbacks win it because we all picked the Rangers. Yeah, for sure. I just think uh, on paper they're the better team. They, they're coming in. I think they've been motivated all year. You know, they were, really should have won the division. They were leading most of the year. Finished as a wild card. They've really blown through this playoffs. I think they'll get it done in six games because I think the D-backs will find a way to win two games in Arizona. But I'm going with the Rangers in six. And my MVP is Corey Seager. I'm going with the guy that has the most experience in the playoffs. He's been there. He's won, a one, he's won already a World Series. I think Corey's going to step up to the plate and have a big World Series. So I'm going with the Rangers. But there you go. All three of us are picking the Rangers to win the World Series. Both me and Trey are picking them in six. Matt is going the distance in seven. But – we can all agree it's going to be a great World Series and very excited to, to watch what happens. Well, guys, a great discussion on the World Series. Before we close out the podcast, I wanted to transition to a couple of the a big offseason topics that are uh, coming up here as we approach the end of the uh, baseball season. I guess the biggest question, of course, I'll go to both of you guys on this. Matt, I'll start with you first. Shohei Otani. I mean, here's a guy that, uh, of course, uh, you know, we haven't seen a guy like him since Babe Ruth, a guy who could pitch, a guy who can hit. Uh, you know, a lot of questions on what he will do. I believe he uh, is going to have Tommy John surgery soon if he didn't have it already, which will forbid him from pitching uh, next year, but he'll still be able to hit. But, of course, people have talked about, oh, he's going to get paid half a billion dollars, maybe more, 607 
million dollars, uh, million, I should say, not a billion, but close to a billion, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of money. Uh, yeah, a lot, a of, lot money. of money. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, I guess what's your thought on uh, where Otani ends up? And hate to ask it, but do you think he's worth the money? Because I mean, he is a dynamic player, but as we've seen in history, these big contracts almost never work. You're right, but we have never seen a player like Shohei Otani. So he is absolutely worth the money. Five hundred million, if that's what they want to give him, if that's what he wants, give it to him. He's worth it. He's worth the money. And if we have learned anything over the past three weeks of baseball, it's that you can't really predict what's going to happen. I just got, I just, when, you know, when we do our podcasts, Trey, I'm going to start going off the wall, wild card predictions. And so I'm going to start it here with Shohei Otani. And I say he signs with the Seattle Mariners this off season. The foundation is already set. Ichiro was one of the greatest Japanese players and one of the first Japanese players to come over and play in MLB, and he went to the Mariners. Uh, I think that Shohei Otani wants to stay on the West Coast. The Mariners are a young team that has had a couple of good seasons, very close to making the playoffs this year. If they get a guy like Otani on the team, he could really elevate them. Their postseason press conferences this year, all the players were upset. They were saying that this team needs to go out and make a splashy sign to help them you know, get over that hump and start winning more. Shohei Otani is the guy to do that. I think he ends up in Seattle. What do you think, Trey? Shohei Otani will stay in Los Angeles, but play for the Dodgers because he likes LA. He wants to stay in LA and he wants to win. The Dodgers haven't made any moves since Freddie Freeman in 2021, any notable moves. They made little pieces like signing Jason, but they have not made a big swing where they could have because of the Dodgers to set up for this move. They already, they don't need to sell them on LA and they can sell them on winning and playing competitive games. Joey Otani needs to be honestly like baseball needs to step in and be smart here. Like, you know, and be like, Hey, Shohei, you need to go to a major team. And I don't think he'll go to the Yankees because I don't think he wants to go to the East Coast. And I don't think he'll go to Boston because that's on the East Coast. And like you said, he wants to win. And he wants that too. That's why he wouldn't <laughs> go to the Red Sox. So That's uh, why he wouldn't go to the Red Sox. That's what you were thinking there, Matthew. Yeah, that's it. Because um, the Yankees at least make the playoffs. And so he'll go to the Dodgers. I think I'm going to go with Trey. I agree. Uh, I think the Shohei is going to go to the Dodgers. You know, stays in L.A. He's still got... Uh, the ability to travel to Japan more easily. Uh, and, you know, I think the Dodgers are kind of desperate to make a big splash and try to get back to uh, the World Series. So Can't wait for with... the Magic Johnson to tweet about it. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, we're going with Otani to uh, go to the Dodgers. Me and Trey, Matt, is predicting the Mariners. What about Juan Soto? And, uh, Matt, I guess, again, this is kind of what I was bringing up a couple of minutes ago. Uh, you know, obviously he's still been an all-star, but who knows if he'll get the money that the Nationals offered him, whatever that was, close to $400 million. I know this might be a little bit of my Nats fan bias here, but I honestly think if you look at it, I think the Nats won the trade. I mean, you look at what they got. They got some young prospects, C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, two guys who really, I think, made big strides this year. Another guy, James Wood, who's supposed to be one of the best project uh, prospects in the minor leagues. Again, we talk about it. I mean, these big contracts almost never work out. So uh, I think whatever team signs Juan Soto is probably going to be handicapped, not going to be really really able to spend money elsewhere. So what are your thoughts on that? And do you think he stays a Padre, or do you think they'll find another place for him? You know, he had a really under-the-radar good year this year. Like, he was, he was really solid, one of the best players, one of the best hitters in baseball, and somehow just flew under the radar. He didn't really put up any splashy – uh, stats, you know, his batting average isn't really up there, but his on-base percentage and OPS was pretty high up there. Uh, he's just a really solid player, and uh, you know, I think that he's going to get a lot of money. Uh, there was a time when we were talking about him in the four hundred million, five hundred million dollar range. I don't think it's going to be like that. Probably three hundred million, um, wherever he ends up, but I, I don't know that that's even guaranteed. He's still a very, very talented player. But, you know, I'm going to go with a, a wild guess here, too. And I'm going to say um, you were you were talking earlier about how he's not even in the same league as Ronald Acuna Jr., but he is still a very good player. And imagine both of them in the same outfield in Atlanta. I think that's what we're going to see. 
next year. Juan Soto coming to the Braves. You know, they've signed a lot of their young stars like Acuna and like Ozzy Albies. They've signed them for long-term contracts, but relatively cheap long-term contracts. So they've got the money. I think they could sign uh, Juan Soto to a big deal and bring him into Atlanta. Brady, do you I think, think Juan stay- Soto goes to the Yankees? No, I think he stays with San Diego. They're not going to sign a right fielder. They have a freak of a right. They have the best right fielder in baseball. <laughs> Line. The Braves, right? No, the Yankees. Mm. <laughs> what, what are your What are your thoughts though on on the trade? I mean, do you think? I mean, Juan Soto still is a good player, but do you think, given the history of long contracts, uh, you know, the the prospects the Nats got, do you think they won the trade? You know, now that you have a year or so to look back on it. We'll see, because if the Padres, let, let's say Juan Soto stays and the Padres win a World Series, unless the Nats win another, like I would say the Padres won the World Series, it, it that's the weird thing about it. Like, you know, we now have time. The Dodgers clearly won the Mookie Betts trade because, one, the Red Sox, you know, they gave up nothing it turned out to be, and the Dodgers won a World Series with Mookie Betts. But I think some of these things take time. Like, if the Padres never win the World Series and – one of these prospects hits for the Nats, then yeah, it, the Nats won this. In it, the Nats won the trade, but you know, if if the O's were guaranteed a World Series by trading Jackson Holiday, I think they would do it, but they they're not. That's why they won't trade Jackson Holiday. So, I think that's 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 ultimately the factor. Is like, it's a wait and see kind of game, like. Um, the fact that they got the NLCS last year is good, but like they need to win a World Series with him. If if he goes, like if he is not a part of this team in the future, then yes, the Nats won the trade. But if they win a World Series, then it's different. And Matt, a, a big picture question is: Do you think this D backs run could kind of inspire other teams to maybe quote unquote go for it instead of maybe selling closer to the trade deadline? I mean, we talked about it. The D backs had their stretch, but they were able to you know, eke into the playoffs and here they are on the World Series. Do you think this might inspire other teams if, hey, you know, we're kind of on the fence, we're maybe a few games out the playoffs, but, hey, the D-backs made the playoffs winning 84 games and they made a run all the way to the World Series, maybe even won it depending on how this series plays out. Do you think that could maybe inspire other teams to say, you know what, we're a few games out, let's stick with our pieces, let's try to trade for a big piece instead of selling and, and try to make a run at the Fall Classic? It has to, right? I mean, it's like it's it's a, a really inspirational season they've had uh, and if you're a team that really wants to win and I think there may be some teams out there that don't want to win uh, then I think you look at the Diamondbacks and you you say it can be done you know they went out there they were struggling in July uh, after having a really good first half of the season but they went out at the deadline they got Paul Seawald who has been arguably the you know the most influential player on the team for them recently and uh, and it's clearly paid off. They're going to the World Series. So it's got to be inspirational to other teams that are in a similar position where they're, you know, struggling, could be out of the race. They could sell easily and, you know, try to rebuild for next year or they could they could go all in. And, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely proves that it can be done. I wanted to ask you guys both this question way too early 2024 World Series prediction. Uh, Trey, I'll go to you first. Give me a way too early prediction, then maybe also give me a team that may not make the World Series, but you know could make a run. A team that we're not even thinking about, at least even to the playoffs, or couldn't be could make a drastic improvement over this year. I'll say the drastic improvement team. I'm going to take the layup and say the St. Louis Cardinals because they were never, ever, 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 ever this bad. So I will take the layup and say the Cardinals. Um. I will go with the World Series prediction at the beginning of this playoffs. It will be the one that Matt will cry to at night. The Atlanta Braves taking on the Baltimore Orioles. All right, and Matt, how about you? A World Series, way too early World Series 2024 prediction and maybe a team we could watch out for that could make a drastic improvement next year? I'm going to agree with Trey on the the World Series prediction. I'll go Braves-Orioles also. You know, the Orioles, all year long, they were the best team in the American League. And then we got to the postseason, and it was just all these young players who had no playoff experience. And they got, you know, they got swept. And I think that now, I mean, now they have one postseason series under their belt. They're going to get Jackson Holiday in there next year. Yeah, that's what Uh, I was about to say. And I think that 
even though they only played three playoff games, it's enough that they've been there. They know what to expect now. So you put them in the playoffs next year. I think that they're going to be able to make a run and we could see a uh, an Orioles Braves World Series. I hope we see that. That would be very exciting for me. Uh, a team that we could see a uh, bounce back or surprise uh, successful year next year. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you know, Ellie De La Cruz is one of the most electric young stars in baseball, and you get a full season of him with the Reds. Uh, they were pretty good this year at times. It looks like they were going to hang in the NL Central race for a little bit. But I think you get a full season of Ellie De La Cruz in Cincinnati, and I think we're going to see a, a good Reds team next year. I agree with you guys on one part of the way too early World Series prediction. I'll pick the Braves. I think, you know, on talent, they've got the the best team, and you never know if they can add another piece, how that might impact the dynamic here. And I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners in the AL. I mean, this is a team that, you know, we talked about uh, last year. They lost in a very competitive sweep to the uh, Houston Astros this year. Had to battle with Houston to kind of get into the playoffs. They just missed. You know, they've got Julio Rodriguez, who is another dynamic star. Guys like Cal Raleigh, I think that that's a, a dynamic young team where, and who knows, I mean, if they had Shohei Otani, I mean, they're, I think, right in the thick of things. So I'm going the Mariners and the Braves for the way-too-early prediction. And this is going to be a little biased, but for the team that's going to improve, the Washington Nationals. But hear me what? out. I just think... You picked the Nationals? <laughs> what? Billy Parmitan picked the Nationals as the team to bounce back? Well, I'm, I'm just going to say. Yeah, but look, I'm they, shocked. Yeah, I mean, look, they won 71 games this year, which I think was a drastic, I mean, 16-game improvement. I don't think anyone expected them to improve that dramatically. They've got a lot of young guys. C.J. Abrams, second in the NL, stolen bases behind Ronald Acuna Jr., They've got a really good uh, pitching rotation led by, I think, two young stars, Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray. You also got Kiber Ruiz, who they've uh, linked up to a long-term extension behind the plate. So, I, I don't know. I mean, Matt, you, you follow the Nats, I think, a little more closely being a, a Braves fan. But, again, I'm not saying they're going to win the World Series or make a, the playoffs even. But 71 wins, I mean, the D-backs won, made the playoffs at 84 wins. I don't think it's that uh, that crazy to say they could – you know, improve uh, 10 games and maybe make some noise. Although the division is tough, they do play in a really tough division. So I think that would be probably right now the biggest barrier in terms of trying to make a playoff run. At what point next year, or do you think it's a guarantee that we see Dylan Cruz in the major leagues next year? I'd probably say sometime uh, June, June, July. I think if he's really lighting it up, I, I think that they'll they'll be facing a lot of fan pressure to to uh, to call him up. And I think at some point, most of the the, the big name prospects they have, we'll, we'll probably see him at least by the uh, September first call up. But I think Dylan Cruz, you know, if he if he's doing well, I think it'll be similar to Juan Soto. We could see him in you know late June, uh, early July. Yeah, I think I no, I I could see that. I could see them having a. a pretty good year next year I, I don't know that they'll make it to the playoffs because like you said it is a really tough division you got obviously the Braves and the Phillies uh I don't know that the Mets are going to be too competitive next year um but you got the Braves Phillies and the Marlins who made the playoffs this year as well so it is a really tough division but I could see the Nationals making an improvement next year and uh, Trey, you're not picking your Yankees to make the playoffs it sounds like or I mean are I didn't you say they wouldn't make the playoffs you just said Picantino <laughs> bounced Bounce back, and I went with the layup. The Cardinals were awful last year. Um, We'll see. I'm at wait and see with this team. They're in the best division in baseball, so they need to improve. So uh, I'm waiting to see with this team at this after this year. I'm definitely at wait and see, but probably come next year, I'm like, they're going to win the World Series. Let's do this. So but right now I'm waiting to see after this year. Well, uh, that's definitely a great discussion there. To close out the podcast, guys, I wanted to ask this question as we, you know, we're close to an hour, and it's always fun talking with you guys. It feels like the time just flies by. But, you know, in baseball, there's all these unbreakable records I can think of, quote-unquote unbreakable. I mean, Cy Young, 511 wins. Kyle Jr., 2,632. Ted Williams had the last 400 uh, uh, batting average season. Uh, you know, Johnny Vandermeer, two straight no-hitters. I mean, there's so many. Joe DiMaggio, of course, the 56-game hitting streak. I guess my question is, of all those records, or maybe there's even one that I didn't mention, uh, Matt, I'll go to you first. Is there one that really stands out as to, like, man, I think this is the most impressive, unbreakable record. There's no there's no even shot that this ever gets broken. Yeah, it's uh, it's one that flies under the radar that you didn't mention. I actually have to look it up to see the uh, the exact numbers. But Oral Hershiser's scoreless inning p- innings pitched streak, 59 consecutive scoreless innings in 1988 for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. I mean, it, it's hard 
for pitchers to even rack up a lot of innings the way they pitch these days. You get pulled after five innings, even when you're pitching pretty good baseball. So, uh, you know, I think that they, they pitch fewer innings per game and the offense in Major League Baseball has increased so much, especially in recent years. And we see so many more home runs than we ever have before that I don't think we're ever going to see someone go 59 consecutive innings without giving up a run. Ray, any record to you? I'll go with the Ripken uh, consecutive game streak at 2,632. I think baseball is such, such more emphasized. It's like basketball, like so much more emphasized on resting and, you know, rehab and getting guys days off and trying to make them through the grind of the season that I just don't imagine we will see someone play, you know, 2,632 games in a row or 2,633 games in a row. Like, I just I don't see it happening in today's baseball where rest and you know health are just so much more important. I agree with you. That's what I was gonna say. I mean, I think also you factor in agents, you know, trying to hold out and you know be healthy in terms of that next big contract. I don't think it's gonna happen. I was also gonna say Cy Young's five hundred eleven wins. You know, pitchers just don't uh, go that deep anymore in games. Really, it seems like you know every third start they have a, a no decision thanks to you know a bullpen guy who blew it. So. Uh, I agree with, uh, I, I think really all these records are unbroken, but I, I think, uh, you know, those two kind of stand out as pretty uh, unbreakable. I did want to ask one more question though, guys, because, you know, I know you also uh, follow college baseball, Matt, I'll go to you first. Is there anything college baseball can do to even get on the level of popularity that say college football has that college basketball has? I mean, I know that both those sports have sports have some sort of uh, college game day. Is that something that college baseball can incorporate to maybe kind of start to draw in more fans or, do you think it's kind of an uphill battle? And uh, for the foreseeable future, unless something dramatic happens, college baseball will kind of be a, a distant third behind those other two sports. It's definitely never going to catch the the popularity of football, especially, and probably never basketball. Um, but, you know, I have had that thought before that a college game day focused on baseball would be pretty exciting. I mean, it would have to be on probably ESPNU or, you know, not not the main ESPN channel, but Throw it on ESPNU, send them to, you know, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Arkansas, uh, Arizona, USC, you know, some of those schools that are like really Virginia good. Tech. Virginia Tech. Hey, come down to Blacksburg. Set, you know, set it up um, outside the baseball stadium, get a small crowd behind them, do a little broadcast. I think that would be a really exciting way to build a little bit more excitement around the game, build a little bit more of a, a fan base. If you put it on TV, you know, once a week, uh, highlight the the marquee matchups, the three-day three, three day weekend series. I think that would be really, really fun. I've uh, thought about that a couple times. I don't know that we'll ever see anything like that, but it's definitely something that could be done and would be really fun to watch for the, for the diehard baseball fans, and I think it would draw in a lot more casual fans as well. Uh, one thing that uh, I was going to say, yeah, I don't think it will, It'll reach it, but I think that's a really good idea. But one thing they do, ESPN does do, is they call it squeeze play. It's during the the regionals when they're all going on, and it's it's basically college baseball, NFL red zone mixed together. Like they flip from game to game. They'll show highlights. They show the key leverage moments. So I really much enjoyed that. Like I'd watch the tech regional obviously by itself, but then I could watch squeeze like. If my team's not in it, like I'd rather watch squeeze play than like one game and then see the highlights from the others. And I can watch that. And, you know, if I'm watching something else at the same time, it's it's natural to kind of you could follow along as you go. So I, I think I, I think that's something that they've gotten creative with. Um, and maybe because it's it's typically just an ESPN plus thing and you have to have a subscription, like not a lot of people like I stumbled across it. I didn't know it was. And then I think I told you know, I remember texting Matt about it and he was like, I didn't know. And I was like, Hey, watch it like this. <laughs> and and so I, I think there are, there are aspects to it. Like college baseball is kind of an underrated sport because it has like the college football environments, especially depending on the school you go to and more offense. So it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun baseball. Uh, yeah, certainly a great topic, and I think something that uh, will have to be dissected further. But, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, I really feel like this is a year of tradition. I know we text throughout the year, but this is, I think, really the only time of the year that we kind of 
get to hop on a Zoom and, and be able to chat virtually face-to-face. -face. So always great talking to you guys, and uh, we'll see if Matt's correct for the fourth straight year. If he's wrong, then we all, me and Trey, uh, We're roll all wrong. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, but yeah, it's always a pleasure, guys, and uh, always excited to uh, chat the World Series with you guys. Yes, sir. I, uh, always I a good had fun. Time. Didn't mean to interrupt you, Trey. Always saying, a good time. Yes, sir, I had fun. Looking forward to the World Series. It should be a good one. I'm excited. For sure. Well, thank you so much to my fellow uh, compadres in the class of 2019 at Virginia Tech, Matt Atkins and Trey Lyle, for joining me on the latest edition of The Post with BP. This will also be a crossover episode with their uh, baseball podcast, Foul Ball Area Podcast. So that will also be posted on their platforms as well, where you can check it out. This has been the latest edition of The Post with BP and the Foul Ball Area Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Parvatam. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us. Enjoy the World Series, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Foul Ball Area Podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they come out.